0: And uh, let's kind of get ready. We're gonna let me just take a second. And for those of you who are new to First Baptist Church, introduce myself. My name is Jeff bartell and I'm the senior pastor here. And it's a joy to be able to serve the Lord here at First Baptist Church. I'm so glad that all of you have come to join us, the the faithful family of First Baptist. Those family members who are traveling and home for the holiday. Maybe you were invited. And this is your very first time. Whatever the case might be, I'm really glad. That you chose to come and to worship with us. It's a wonderful opportunity. This is a banner day in Christianity celebrating the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have seen this message proclaimed in all the different various ways from song to to reading to testimony. And now we're going to take a a look into the Word of God and see some of these things as well. As Ryan had mentioned, our theme for the day is that God is able. Amen. Amen. And that literally is just the idea God is all-powerful. He's omnipotent. God is able to do things that are so far beyond what we could ever imagine. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 say this, Now unto him that is able to do, exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but I can dream up some pretty amazing things, but he's able to do exceeding, abundantly, above and beyond all that we can even think or imagine. One of the things that I want you to realize, the Jehovah God of the Bible certainly is all-powerful. He certainly is able, and he is able to, for example, create all of the known universe in six literal 24-hour days. He is able to be able to flood out that entire earth because of sin and judgment and start over with Noah and his family. He's able to take a woman who was barren in her later years in life named Sarah and by his promise with a word, give her a child who is to be Isaac. In Egypt, when Pharaoh ordered the death of all the male Hebrew children, God preserved the life of children through a holocaust the most famous of which is Moses when Moses grew up and he was tending sheep on a mountain he came across a place where there was a bush that was burning and yet it was not consumed God is the one who is able to speak to Moses through a bush that was on fire and yet not consumed God is able to produce 10 distinct plagues in the land of Egypt He was able to take the rivers and turn them completely into blood. He was able to overrun the entire face of the earth with frogs. After the frogs, he overruns the earth with lice. After lice are flies. After all that, he has all of the cattle of the Egyptians and the Egyptians only to die. He inflicts all of mankind with boils. He rains hail and fire down covers the earth with locusts, brings darkness over the face of the earth until ultimately the last plague was the death of the firstborn. And he did all of this just to show his power and so that the children of Israel, his people, could be set free from oppressive slavery. He led them to a point where God then showed his ability by parting The Red Sea, the children of Israel crossing on dry land. And once they were safely on the other side, brought the floods of the sea back to drown out Pharaoh and his armies and his chariots. After they crossed over into the desert, God is the one who is able to bring down bread from heaven called manna and water out of a rock. He is able to tear down the fortress, fortress walls of the city of Jericho, God is able to control nature. He, in the Bible, is able to make the sun stand still or even go back 10 degrees. He's able to bring all the animals to Noah to be able to get in on the ark. He calms the seas and the storms. He causes fish to swim into a net. He's able to heal all manner of disease and organic disease, not just functional, in leprosy and blindness and being lame, and having withered limbs. He's able to cast out devils from people, delivering them from spiritual oppression. He's able to miraculously feed well over 5,000 people with a sack lunch, and have leftovers. Not to mention all the regular good stuff that he does for us every single day. But ultimately the capstone of it all, he's able to raise the dead to life. It is this reason, this is the meaning of Easter. This is why we celebrate. And that same God, who is able to have done all of those things, will also one day return to earth to judge all men and set all accounts right. He's able to consume this earth with a fire and replace it With a new earth, and a new heaven, and a new Jerusalem, wherein dwells righteousness forevermore. Amen? That's our God. He is able. He's able to do great things. And as we'll see in just a few short minutes, He's also able to meet your personal needs as well. Well, what I want you to see with me this morning are some examples from real life. And the examples that you're going to see from real life come from the past and they also come from the present. These are real stories of real people. These are not fictional. The stories that come from the scriptures are historically accurate. Listen, there's no question at all that Jesus Christ is absolutely the most important character in all of human history. In fact, the reality of his influence is so great. That for thousands of years before he was born, there were characters throughout the scriptures that foreshadow or picture the once, one day to come Messiah of Israel. There were literally scores of people in the Old Testament who have parts of their life that demonstrate the life of Jesus Christ that was to come. We call these pictures or types in the Bible, And I want you to look at a few of them with me this morning. From the very beginning of time, there was a man by the name of Abel. Now, you may be familiar with the story of Abel. Abel is the son of Adam and Eve. Abel is the one who was murdered by his jealous brother, Cain. Abel offered to God what God wanted, and that's an animal sacrifice. You see, God wanted an animal sacrifice Because in Hebrews chapter 9, the Bible tells us that God wants a blood sacrifice. It had to include the shedding of blood. And And the reason that's so important is with a blood sacrifice, it is a total, complete sacrifice. We might refer to that as total consecration. If you shed your blood, you have nothing in reserve. You have given all that you have to give. This is the sacrifice that God required. This is the sacrifice that Abel offered. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 that when he offered this sacrifice to God, he offered it by faith. It says that when his offering was offered to God, that God accepted his offering immediately. It's no coincidence that the first human being ever to die in the history of man of physical death was a shepherd. He was a shepherd. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 4 that his blood cries out from the ground, meaning that even after his death, there is a continual cry out to others. And comparing Hebrews chapter 12, it says, comparing Jesus Christ to Abel, that Jesus also continues to cry out to us continually, only from heaven. You may or may not realize that Abel was the second born of twins. He was the younger. Cain was his older brother. Similar to Esau and Jacob, what you find through the scripture is that that's significant because the second birth is the one that God accepts. As we'll see before we're done here, there's just something wrong with that first birth. God's painting a picture of his son that would come and die as the great shepherd, offering to God that which is acceptable, a total sacrifice, a blood sacrifice of the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, providing for us the way to experience a new birth, a second birth, one that God accepts. The next picture I want you to see from the Bible is, without question, the greatest single individual to picture the life of the Lord Jesus Christ from all of the Old Testament narrative, and that's the life of a man named Joseph. Now, you may remember Joseph? Joseph is the 11th of 12 sons of a man named Jacob. Jacob is the son of Isaac. Isaac was the miraculous son of Abraham and Sarah. Jacob is the one who had his name changed to Israel. And his 12 sons then become the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. Joseph was the 11th of the 12. All of these points that I'm about to read for you, I want you to listen carefully, are also true of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are only a short list of all the things you could find in Genesis chapter 37 to Genesis chapter 50, where we find the story of Joseph. That's why Joseph is such a fantastic picture or type of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Bible. First off, Joseph also was a shepherd. It says that he was the most beloved son of his father. Remember the story of the coat of many colors? As a result of that, it says that his brothers envied him. There's a time when Joseph dreamed a dream. And in his dream, he communicated to his family that his brothers would one day all bow down before him. Well, they didn't think too highly of that. They were mad. They were jealous. And so they sold him into slavery, which means that Joseph was arrested and taken away. They went back and they lied to their father about Joseph. What they actually did was they sold him for money. His garments were dipped in blood. But God was with him. And the people all around Joseph saw that God was with him. Because the Bible says that he found grace in God's sight. Joseph, in the case of Potiphar and his wife, he was tempted to sin, but he did not sin. He was falsely accused, he was bound, but he was innocent. He was numbered with two other prisoners. One was restored, the other was cursed. He was the source of all blessing for all the people that were around him in Egypt as he set up the system of navigating through seven years of famine when there was no bread in all of the land. Because Egypt in the Bible is a type and a picture of this entire world system. He was second in the kingdom of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh, kind of like Jesus Christ is the second person of the Godhead. He began to lead his people at the age of 30. People had to come to him to get bread. Eventually his family comes back to him. He reveals himself to his brothers. And when he does that, they accept him. They accept him. They sit with him at a great supper. And probably the greatest thing of all about the life of Joseph is that Joseph's life stands to show us how he saves lives. He saves lives. These are just a few of the parallels from Joseph's life that we could see in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. So why do I really mention all that today? Well, I want you to understand that the story of Joseph is the story of an unlikely ending. It says at the end of the book of Genesis, in chapter 50 and verse number 20, as he's communicating with his brothers who are now very repentant for how evilly they've treated him. He says, But as for you, brethren, ye thought it evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. So you see, the story of Joseph is a story of hope. The story of Joseph is how God has plans for our life that are not necessarily our plans for our life. But what I want you to understand through all of that is this. This is not just a story that was true back then in Genesis and in Egypt. It was literally true back then. But it's just as true today. Because God still does that. I want you to watch this video. So, those of us around here, we're we're aware of this story. I've met Uncle Terry many times. He sat over here in this section of the church several times. He heard the gospel several times and yet adamantly said, I'm not interested. And again, there came a time, it's never too late because our God is able to save people regardless of what their past has been, regardless of the things that they've said or they've done. He's able to do that, amen? Well, I have one last comparison that I want to show you out of the Bible, and it's the life that may not be as obvious to you. It's the life of the prophet Jonah. And a lot of you know the story of Jonah, but I want you to know today that Jonah is much more than just a fish story because everybody pretty much knows the story of Jonah, right? He was the prophet that was running away from God. God told him to go and to preach to a a group of pagan people in the city of Nineveh. And he said, I'm not doing that, and he ran the other way. And you might think, well, how in the world could this possibly picture the life of the Lord Jesus Christ? But it's interesting because during Jesus' earthly ministry, people around him were wondering whether or not he was truly the Messiah or whether he was just another pretender. You see, one day there was a group of men, some Pharisees, that came to Jesus Christ, and and they were asking him to give them a sign to either confirm or deny that Jesus was indeed who he said that he was. And Jesus answered them, and he said this in Matthew 12, 39 and 40, but he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You see, the story of Jonah is a story of new life. Jonah was swallowed by a whale, and he dies. And three days later, he's brought back to life. This is the picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so important that God painted that picture in the life of a prophet. Literally, that event happened in the days of Jonah, but it is a foreshadowing of a time yet to come for the Lord Jesus Christ. Hundreds of years prior, he painted that picture so that when Jesus Christ came, the people could recognize it in the life of the prophet Jonah. But I want you to understand something. Similar to Joseph, this is not just something that happened in a few isolated supernatural instances in the Bible. God, just as supernaturally today, gives new life to people. I want you to watch this. guys Amen. Yeah, praise the Lord. And so Jesse's in this church serving the Lord faithfully. Listen, there's a lot of us, given the time, could share our stories of God's grace and, and of changed lives. I, I could take the time and tell you my story, and I'm not doing that this morning, but just know this it's not all that different from his. In other words, before I came to know the Lord, I was 21 years old and in college. I, My life was all about myself and about partying and about everything like that. And then God came in and when I understood the message, I mean, it changed me. I'll never forget the day that I was sitting in my dorm room and and a guy knocked on the door and began to share with me the gospel and and, and it just changed my life. And so what we've seen so far are these examples from real life. But what I want us to see before we're done are give you the opportunity to evaluate your life. Because God is in this business of changing lives. He's able to do miraculous things in the world through nature and healing and feeding and all these great things, but he's able to do miraculous things in you. He's able to do miraculous things in me. And if we don't get that today, I think that we've missed the whole point of Easter and the whole reason to get together. And so think about the story from the very beginning. When God originally made man, he made him perfect, he made him innocent. He made him without sin, but man sins. And then this sin nature is passed on to everybody since that time. In fact, in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12, the Bible says this, Wherefore, as by one man, referring to Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So this idea that sin entered through Adam is passed on then through the lineage of mankind to all of us. We all have inherited this nature. We are sinners by nature, but we are also sinners because we actually do that. In fact, in Romans 3, and verse 23, it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Because of our sin, there's now a separation between us and God. If we think about how God created Adam perfectly, and God used to come down into the garden in the cool of the day and fellowship with Adam, and that was all great, but but then sin enters in and it becomes a barrier. And it's like if I take this pad and I say, look, now sin is a barrier between Adam and God. They, they can't have fellowship anymore. That's a problem. We've come short of God's glory because of our sin. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, the first part, says that the wages of sin is death. And it's interesting because we think about our wages. Those are things that we earn. I mean, you work a job. At the end of a couple of weeks, you get a paycheck You don't have to go beg for that paycheck. You deserve that paycheck. You did the work. It's your wage. Well, what we have done as human beings is sin, every one of us. And as a result of what we have done, we have earned a wage, and the wage, the Bible says, is death. But when the Bible talks about death, it's not just talking about physical death. Every one of us in this room is old enough to understand that there is a process of life, that you're born and you grow up to a certain point and then physical life expires but it's even more than just that it includes that but it's not just physical death it's also spiritual death which is described for us in revelation chapter 21 and verse number eight where the bible says but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death you see Maybe we could say it this way. The least of our problems is just the physical death. What we need to concern ourselves with is the wages of sin being the second death, and it's described as a lake that burns. We would call that place hell. We would call that place hell. And when we look at the list of people who are going to be there, and it says abominable murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, many of us might think, well, that's not me. Well, look at the first couple of things because it says, but the fearful... And really the big key for all of us is unbelieving. Unbelieving. That's the end. That's the death that we have earned. And if the story stopped here, it would not be good news. It would be bad news because everybody has sinned, everybody has earned the wage, and the wage is death, and death means hell. We're all on our way to hell. That's terrible news. But God didn't stop there. In Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8, it says, But God commendeth his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. You see, he didn't just tell us that he loved us. He proved it. He demonstrated it. While we were his enemies, the Bible says, he came and he gave his life to pay for your sins so that you can get in on the greatest offer that has ever been made to mankind, eternal life. But please understand something with me today. Just because Jesus Christ died for the sins of the whole world does not mean that the whole world automatically goes to heaven, right? I mean, he died for the sins of the whole world, but the whole world does not automatically go to heaven. Certainly there is something that you must do in response to what he has done. And he doesn't leave us in the dark with this. This is very clearly revealed. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12 say this, And this is the record that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his son. He that has the son has the life, and he that hath not the son of God has not the life. Now look at that. God has given to us eternal life. I'm going to make a little illustration. I have one of these cards that Irv mentioned earlier, and and let's just say that this card is going to represent eternal life. And let's just say my iPad here is going to represent Jesus Christ. He said God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. And he who has not the Son of God has not the life. It's just that simple. So if you want to have eternal life with God in heaven, well, then you need to have Jesus Christ. Well, if you are anything like me, when I heard the gospel at age 21, it was the first time in my life I had ever heard the gospel. Maybe you didn't grow up like I grew up, but that was my story. And when, and when the, the friend shared with me about I need to have Jesus Christ in my life, literally, honestly, sincerely, I I responded, okay, how do I do that? (laughs) I mean, where is he? I'll take him. I mean, I don't understand. And certainly it's not difficult at all. You go back to the Gospel of John in chapter number one and verse number 12 where it says this, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so back to our illustration, if this is eternal life and this is Jesus Christ and God says, look, I have secured for you the ability to restore the relationship that was broken with me all the way back from Adam. And I've secured eternal life in in the package, if I can say it that way, of Jesus Christ. He died for your sins. And he offers to every single one of you freely the free gift of eternal life. It comes part and parcel with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is though God is standing on the balcony of heaven, extending his hand to each and every one of you today and saying, would you like to have this? This is a free gift. Back in Romans where it said the wages of sin is death, it goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He says, would you like this gift? Would you like this gift? Then he goes on in John chapter one to say, but to as many as received him, Just like receiving gifts, somebody offers you a gift for your birthday, somebody offers you a gift for Christmas or some holiday, and and they spent money and they want, they love you and they care for you and they want you to have it, and they extend it to you and they say, here's the gift I've brought for you, and for you to sit there and not take it. First off, that'd be kind of rude, wouldn't it? But also, if you don't ever receive it as your own, then it's not yours, It's not yours until you receive it, until you take it. And that's exactly what God says in John chapter 1. As many as received him, that they receive this power to be able to become literally the sons of God. How do we do that? How do we receive him? Well, it's very simple. We receive him by faith. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe on thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see, all you're doing is, by faith, you're going to appropriate the reality of what Jesus Christ has already done for you. He has completed the work, and when he was on the cross, he said, it is finished, the work is done, it is taken care of. Salvation is a free gift to you, but it costs God everything. And he offers it to you freely. And if you will recognize that, if you will agree with that, and you will believe that story, and you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you will believe in your heart that the Easter story is true, that God raised him from the dead, God makes a promise. And by the way, in the book of Titus, it is impossible for God to lie. He said, thou shalt be saved. That's what he said. A little further down in Romans chapter 10, the invitation is this, verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That little word, whosoever, in your Bible, if you want to, you could write your name right over the top of it. If Jeff will call upon the name of the Lord, He will be saved and you can make your decision today right here and right now if you understand the Easter story if you understand the things that have been communicated to you if you have heard the stories of real lives of people from this church how God has powerfully and miraculously changed their circumstances and their life not just now but forever and that resonates with you and you realize man I am so weary. I am so tired of trying to do it my way. I am so sick and tired of driving. I am not heading the right direction. My life is not going the right way. I'm afraid. Let me ask you a question. If, God forbid, something tragic happened, and before this day was over, your life tragically ended, and you stood before God, would you be 100% sure that you have a home in heaven. In fact, if God were to ask you, for example, why should I let you into heaven? What might your answer be? If it is anything other than, I humbly received the gift of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for my sins, then that's the wrong answer. You could be the nicest person you know. You can be hardworking, honest, forthright, good, and kind. But the Bible says that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in his sight compared to his holiness. Only Christ's righteousness applied to you is good enough to give you eternal life. And what I want to give you the opportunity to do this morning before we close is to be able to make that decision for yourself. Will you pray with me? Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. I don't want to embarrass anybody. Nobody will embarrass you. But I want to ask you a question. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to ask you this. If you're here and you would say, Pastor Jeff, I get it, and today's the day. I want to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. I want to surrender my heart, ask him to forgive me of my sins, and give to me the gift of eternal life. I want to do that. I'm going to pray in just a second. I just want to pray for you, and I want to know intelligently if there are people like that. So if that is you, would you please just raise your hand and hold it up? Nobody's looking around. People in the back, I see you. Anybody else upstairs? I can see you in the balcony. Anybody else? Just hold your hand up high, Just hold it, and I want to pray for you. Several people are in, and down front, too, thanks. Thanks for. Me. You can put your hand back down. Thank you. Anybody else? Just hold it up. God spoke to me today, and I want to receive him as my Savior. There's somebody in the back. Thank you, you can put it down. I appreciate it. Just pray along with me, will you? Dear Jesus, thank you so much for dying on the cross for my sins. Lord, I get it. I'm a sinner. No question about it. You don't need to convince me that I'm a sinner. I know that I have sinned and I know that the wages of my sin is death and that death really means hell and I deserve to go there but I do not want to go there. Thank you for demonstrating your love. Thank you for dying for me while I'm a sinner. Thank you for offering to me the free gift of eternal life and right now Lord by faith I, I receive you As my Lord and Savior, I confess to you my sins. Please forgive me. Come into my heart and to my life and give me the free gift of eternal life. Lord, I surrender all today. I don't want to follow my way. I want to follow your way. I want to walk with you from today forward for the rest of my life. I want to have a story that resonates like Jesse's story that we heard. I want to have the truth in my heart and my life. I pray you'd forgive me and I pray that you'd give me a new life. And Lord, by faith, you said, whosoever shall call upon your name will be saved. And by faith, I am calling on your name. So thank you for saving me. Thank you for dying for me. And thank you for changing my heart. I pray, God, that you will lead me and accept me just like I accept you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you look up at me? In just a second, we're going to have some music. And, but before we do that, I just want to draw your attention to this little card. Ryan had mentioned this before, and we'd love to hear from each and every one of you. But specifically, if you're here and you would say, today is the day, today is the day I put my faith and my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. There's a box right underneath the general information. Today I prayed to receive for the first time Jesus Christ as my Savior. Would you just put a check in that box and put your name on there so that we can help you, we can contact you, we can help you with materials and learn how to grow. Or maybe you're just not quite ready to make that decision, but boy, you're really interested The box right underneath that says, I have questions about salvation, God, Jesus Christ, and the Bible. Please contact me. We will not harass you, but if you ask us to contact you, we will contact you. And we just want to help you. So with that, in a second, we're going to have a couple of songs. We'll pass the offering plates. Check that box. Just lay that card in the offering plate when it passes in the final song. And God bless you for your attention today.